Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray doing the intro alone this week after we recorded what was a pretty special episode last week right here in the Sydney Podcast Studios. As those of you who spend too much time on Twitter will know, some of the heavyweights of the golf Twitterati spent the last few weeks travelling Australia and sampling some of the finest courses we have to offer. Michael Wolf, also known as Bama Bearcat, John Cavalier, known as Lynx Gems, and their less well-known travel companion, Nigel Islam, managed an impressive 23 rounds during a 20-day trip. But somehow... They still found time to drop by the studio last Thursday for a beer and a chat about all things golf and all things Australia. It was a rambling affair with more people than microphones and disorganised doesn't even begin to describe the nature of the conversation. But it was a hell of a lot of fun to be a part of and hopefully you'll find some joy in listening to it as well. Before you do, however, or maybe even while you're listening, head over and visit our major sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talking Golf. Check out the bunch of new gear which has just arrived for the autumn season. Aaron over there has been flat out getting all this new stuff set up. The very least you can do is drop by and take a look. You'll find Ralph Lauren, Jay Lindeberg, Hugo Boss, any number of other leading brands. There's apparel, shoes and accessories. If you go via the Talking Golf page linked in the show notes below, there's a $25 off special offer for your first visit. That's thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talk and golf. And lastly, before we get started, don't be afraid to get in touch via Twitter or email with feedback. You'll find me at, at Rod underscore Murray. My DMs are open. And co host Adrian Logue at, at Adrian Logue. I don't think his uh, email is Rod at talkandgolf.com. Just the one G in Talk and Golf. And that reminds me, actually, you should also head to talkandgolf.com and listen to some of our other terrific podcasts. Kurt Tyrrell's back this week with a long-awaited, though well-worthwhile new episode of The Course Reports, where he chats to the superintendent at Newport Beach Country Club, where Ernie Els just claimed his first Champions Tour title this very morning. There's heaps more over there as well, including the Talking Golf History Podcast and their latest episode with Dean Beeman, which... I must say, is can't miss stuff. Dr. Kelly Price on issues to do with women in the game from an academic perspective. And Risk and Reward, a golf betting show which I co-host with John Evans. And it may be of some interest to some of you as we talk about much more than just odds. So head over to there, TalkingGolf.com, just 1G in Talking Golf. All right, enough of all that. Let's get on with episode 22, the one that I'm calling The Mad Americans. All right, well, this is different. So we've got uh, four microphones, five people. Three of them Americans, who are all clearly bonkers. Uh, I'm not going to do all the introductions. I'm going to start on my right and go around. Let's have name, rank, and serial number for who are our guests. Sure thing. I'm John Cavalier from Philadelphia. Uh, I run the uh, Lynx Gems social media channels on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I think I've been here for uh, almost two full weeks now. Nice. Adrian, well, we know who you are, but introduce yourself anyway. And Adrian Logue. You can get everything about me at adrianlogue.com. Adrianlogue.com. Like literally everything. That is the entire Adrian Logue like story. three pages there. <laughs> Let's move to your left, and we've got the real star of the show and the man who's responsible for all of this and for cramping up my studio in a way that it's never been cramped up before. Who have we got there? Responsible or guilty? I'm not sure. This is uh, this is Michael Wolf. I am uh, I am at Bama Bearcat on uh, Twitter and, and uh, Instagram. This is my first trip to Australia. I arrived February 18th, 
29 golf courses later. I think I have one more day tomorrow with two more golf courses, and uh, it's, it's been great to be here. Well, and it's great to meet you guys in person, yeah, finally. Yeah, they'll, they'll strap you back into the straight jacket thrill. and put you on the plane back home. Make your way across to the microphone there. We've got to share microphones today. So I'm Nigel Islam. I'm from Evansville, Indiana. I arrived uh, with John on the 23rd of February, uh, and uh, uh, my second time to Australia. Love it here. Wonderful country. Uh, first time I've really ever... Uh, Played a lot of golf here, though, and it's been fantastic. Outstanding. So, uh, Michael, let's come to you first, since you're the organizer of this trip. You've been fearless leader, the fearless leader. You've been chatting to me on. It's been years in the making, hasn't it? Years in the making. I reckon two years. You've been chatting to me about coming down here. Originally, you were going to have Zach Blair and Jim Herman and a whole bunch of others because you manage Jim Herman, the PGA Tour player. We know that, and we know he's keen to come down here and play some golf, though probably not at the pace that you have. Why Australia? Um, I think why not. Um, you know, because it's, it's on the other side of the planet. It takes got, forever uh, to get here. It does, but but I uh, I think if you like golf, you have to come. Um, there's no question about that. Um, if you love great golf courses, you certainly have to come. The timing with the exchange rate right now is just so good, and um, yeah, I mean, Alistair McKenzie and and uh, you know, uh, Sandbelt Golf. You can't see it anywhere else in the world. Sandbelt Golf, and so. Uh, the timing seemed right, and as we kind of uh, all have our lists of places we want to see and, and dream about, at some point the clock starts ticking. You think, well, if we're going to do this, we should do it, and we might as well do it while the exchange rate is 0.7 instead of 1.1 <laughs> or 1.2. So I think we, like any golf trip, it starts with a bunch of emails in the middle of winter when everyone's bored. That was probably in November of 2018. And, um, yeah, about 5,000 emails later, we narrowed it down to three or four of us. For me, the final straw was um, Tom Doak has been doing some work down here and and, uh, had a golf tournament uh, two weeks ago and was nice enough to let us come down and see his new uh, Gundamata course um, down at at the National. And, um, you know, um, anytime Tom Doak sends you an email and says, would you like to (laughs) join me for a round of golf, at least for me, that that means you get on a plane. And so it just kind of coordinated. Coincided nicely with our trip and our planning, and uh, yeah, everything's been wonderful. Been been great to be here. If Tom Doak sends you an email, it means you're with somebody. So you, mm-hmm. uh, congratulations there, John. We all jealously look at your uh, Twitter feed constantly. You spend your life wandering around looking at great golf courses. Is Michael right? If you're this one is for the golf architecture nerds. If you're not a golf architecture nerd, stop the podcast now and come back next week. Is this genuinely Australia worth the pilgrimage? From the other side of the planet? Yeah, and look, I'll put it to you this way. You, you, you know I love to travel and play golf, and I've never been to Scotland. So there are a lot of places internationally that I still need to see. So for me to come to Australia first and do 16 plus 6 on a plane to get here as opposed to the easiest possible flight out of Philadelphia to Edinburgh uh, to go play there says something. Um, as these guys, why, know, why, why, what, what I, says to you that that's what you should do? I think Michael really hit it on the head. There's just there's there's golf here that you can't see anywhere else. It's a, the the kind of golf, the history involved. You know, thinking about how how it must have been a hundred years ago when these courses were getting built, when Mackenzie came over and laid out the plans for so many of these great golf courses. Uh, there's just nowhere else in the world that you can get that and then get on a plane for an hour and go see a place like Cape Wickham and then get on a plane for an hour and go see a place like Barnboogle. It's just the diversity of the, the courses that you guys have here 
is just tremendous. And then for me, another draw was the fact that I've never been here before in any capacity. So seeing another part of the world for me is always a good time. Hmm. What about uh, photography-wise? You're right. I think the Sandbelt courses are somewhat unique in both the way they play and aesthetic, aren't they? I think that's very true. And, you know, the seeing certainly Royal Melbourne was a a real eye-opener for me. I mean, I had watched the President's Cup. I had read about the golf course before, and I've done all the things that the – you know, the, the golf architecture nerds like us do, but then being there and seeing the genius of that golf course and playing the shots into those green complexes that are just absolutely brilliant, it's one of those courses that it's hard to explain to somebody who is casually into golf, but for the true believers like we are, for people who care deeply about the game, it's just a place that you have to see once in your life. Simple as that for me. What about the scale, Michael, at Royal Melbourne? I don't think the scale ever shows up on television or in photos. I often say that there's nothing like live golf. If you want to go, if you want to indulge in professional golf, do it live. There's no other way to do it. The sound and the flight and the seeing the distances. And I think Royal Melbourne's the same in that you cannot get any sense of the scale of the place from television. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. It's I find McKenzie particularly interesting because he was really the first truly global i mean alice you know went to japan and and had his months there where he transformed a nation and and uh you know colt did come to to america and and you know and and you know his association with crump and things like that but but mckenzie's the you know when you look at where he traveled and how hard it was to get there and kind of the the gospel he spread whether it was to argentina or to um uh, northern Michigan or to uh, California or certainly his his uh, you know his one um, stay in Australia the scale is interesting to me because you can have places that are so diverse as Pasa Tiempo California versus the Melbourne Sandbelt such different ground conditions but the same shot values and strategies that he advocated which was big ballparks anyone can play them um, you don't have to hit every shot. 275 yards in the air um you can think your way around the golf courses but how he adapted that to the different terrains um and then something as dramatic as we just walked off the golf course at new south wales this morning um that that to me is real genius you know um there's there's plenty of people who have found a style that's popular and is fun and (coughs) photographs well or plays well but for somebody to have to travel to five different continents in as many different places and adapt it as well as he did, um, each time you get to see a new one is um, is, is special. Um, backing up a little bit too, I mean the other reason why we came um, is because you guys let us. You know, um, you 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 can't if if you live in France and you, and you love golf and you've read Tom Doak's Confidential Guide or um, you know you've read an old uh, book by by. Harry Colt or Martin Hawtrey or someone, um, you can't just get on a plane and fly to Philadelphia and play Pine Valley and play Marion and those places. Uh, Australians, they let you. You know, it's it's depending on the exchange rate, it's not the cheapest, and it's a lot of emails, especially if you're insane and you want to try to play <laughs> 29 of the best courses in 20 days. But but it, with enough legwork, they'll they'll let you play every single one of them in this country, and that's not true in Japan and it's not true in France. And uh, it's certainly not true in the United States, and unfortunately, in some other places of the world, the the idea of exclusivity or building a gate um, is is somehow viewed as as making what's on the ins- other side of the fence more attractive, and it's dead wrong. Um, 
you know, I mean, a little little list of takeaways. From Michael's got notes, by the way. Yeah, which, yeah that's right. Adrian and I have never a had very notes in here. That, spreadsheet I, in I front did, of you as well. I did he make a little note of things that were different in the United States than here, and and things that I found attractive, and and, and surprises. The biggest surprise by far for Australian golf, as much as research as I've done before I started this adventure, was how busy the courses are. Um, I mean, those Melbourne Sandville courses, they're doing 50, 55,000 rounds a year at a place like a Metro of Victoria. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you see the comps. You know, you see women out there at Yara Yara. Yep. They were just battling two-foot putts, yep. not conceded. Oh, there's no conceded. Uh, yeah. oh, no, it, no. It's a game. every day. <laughs> it is. There's no gimmies. When they say yeah. competition, they mean that. And it's really the spirit of the game, though. It's not a, it's not a way to to sell insurance to a customer and it's not a way to prove that you're financially successful in life. Um, it, it's just a way for two hail fellows well met to, uh, to share a common experience. And so, uh, it's been every bit worth the, uh, the 25 hours it took me to get here. And yet, despite that, we waited on a tee or for an approach shot how many times? Once Everyone, the entire trip, mm-hmm. Everyone plays the pace the of play rules. is terrific. Pace of play is generally pretty good. Terrific, but they get fifty-five thousand members and guests and outsiders like us around every year. And, That's right. Uh, so, so I don't think the question is why would you come to Australia. I think the reason is question is why why wouldn't you why, come to Australia? Why wouldn't you? I know you two, and I'm not sure whether you came, Nigel, to a trip to the UK. You went to England and played a lot of the Heathland courses there. Um, and so this is the second big trip that you two have done together. Uh, have you driven each other crazy with uh, with being in each other's pockets for this long? Or? Bring that around to you there, Michael, that just, microphone. Yeah. We'll, we'll come to Nigel shortly. Just, Get that nice and comfortable. Just Nigel's driving. That's all. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing. Side of the road, isn't That's, it? Which is a fair, well, fair, it's uh, a fair ad- adaptation to Nigel make. Nigel driving at times is literally on the right <laughs> side of the road. Uh, no, it, everything's been fine. I mean, the weather's been great. Uh, we're we're, we're, we're thankful for you guys that the weather and the, and the rains and everything have solved the um, – you know, the crisis that happened this summer. But um, yeah. no, I, I travel quite a bit. I mean, for work, I, I, I get around to golf courses and, and travel is part of my job. And um, I, I've gone to Scotland usually twice a year for the last 25 years. So, right. Um, this is a much the, bigger trip than that England trip longer. that you guys oh, did, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. I think England was 11 rounds and five days in a mixture of Heathland courses and down to the to the uh, the channel courses at, at uh, Royal St. George's and, and Rye. But um, I, I think typically, uh, you know, five, six days for, for – Seven, eight, nine rounds, depending on who's going. Just want, to clar- just want to clarify something. Did you just call what you do a job? Did I hear that? <laughs> you- I have a job. You have a job. He, he, right. he doesn't. Have- he does right. the, the real job is representing professional golfers. Yeah. Um, so I get to visit some nice places. Yeah. Like test all the courses before you send them there. Yeah, it is. But uh, <laughs> you, you had a whole other career before you were doing this, didn't you? I did. I was certified uh, public accountant, and I worked uh, for a German uh, company for 25 years. And that's really what okay. I think. I've said a lot of bad was- things about accountants on this <laughs> podcast. Set up my, I think set up my spirit of adventure. <laughs> I had to go to walk. Europe. When you have to go to Europe anyway, five or six times a year for work. You played a lot in Holland, haven't you? You've I played the five yeah, Holland yeah. courses. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to get back there next year and see. I've never been to Granville, which is down in Spain, uh, down in uh, France. It's a it's a uh, genuine links course okay. uh, down somewhat by Normandy region. Uh, so hoping to get to Granville next year. That's on the list. So I think I've been big trip to Japan this year for ten days. So uh, getting there. Yeah, I haven't been to Durban, South Africa. I'd like to go to Durban. And, uh, I what does Clyde say about South Africa? You can tell Mackenzie never went there. Of, just uh, totally devoid <laughs> of anything. <laughs> well, and I haven't been to the Jockey Club, so I think the final Mackenzie, at least of the famous yeah, Mackenzie course, yeah. is the Jockey Club in Argentina. Oh, yeah. They reckon you can Get smell the spike marks in the timber floor at yeah. uh, the Jockey Club. They say it's amazing. Nigel, we haven't heard enough from you. Pull that microphone across. 
Are you as bonkers as these blokes? We're not as familiar with you as these two, obviously. What the hell are you doing here? Uh, well, you know, I I guess uh, for me the big thing is I'm 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 big into uh, golf history and such, and uh, um, I I used to watch a lot of. Uh, a lot of Australian golf. Uh, we used to have a lot of golf in Australia. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> Thanksgiving, don't anymore, yeah. Thanksgiving time. You know, I'd be stuck at my, you know, stuck at my relative's house. Um, you know, uh, we would. Uh, I'd kind of sneak up and I'd watch uh, some of the Australian tournaments. I remember Aaron Badley winning okay, a couple years in a row. Yeah, Wilson, yeah, uh, and uh, he was, you know, beating. You know, he, I think I believe he was an amateur. Uh, yeah, ninety nine. Yeah, for the first time. Yeah, and, uh, was, uh, yeah he was second. Beat all in that field as well. Beat all the professionals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I remember watching uh, Ernie Els's sixty at Royal Melbourne. I was watching that tournament. I used to watch a lot of European golf back in the day. Mm-hmm. Not, not as much now, but uh, uh, and so you know, I know all these courses. I've seen them, and I was when I got invited by by Michael and uh, you know John and I go way back. So we. Uh, you know, I was excited. I couldn't say no to it. It was a once-lifetime opportunity. What is it about golf that does this to people? The only other thing I can equate this with would be surfing. Or you skiing. meet some skiing or skiing. Sometimes you meet yeah. surfers. Sometimes I'm not so much skiers that I've met, but surfers will say, "I want to go over there and surf this break." There's something special about it. What I think it it's, it's the individuality of the courses, and you know, each course is different, and uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Do we make enough of that? Does golf make enough of that in selling itself, that the courses are so integral to the enjoyment of the game? I don't know about that. I mean, one of the things, I mean, I live in southern Indiana, so it's, uh, uh, we don't really have a lot of great golf, but I always try and take something positive out of every golf course I get a chance to play for the first time. Uh, And certainly it's very easy here in Australia (laughs) because they're incredible. What's been your favorite before we come back tomorrow? Well, I think Royal Melbourne West, uh, definitely my favorite. Uh, uh, one of the surprises uh, of the trip was uh, Barwon Heads. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, John and I played there uh, down. Uh, Wonderful experience, uh, Barwon Heads. Made the drive, uh, two-hour trip each way. It was uh, well worth it. Uh, Rod, Rod and I have had a game there together. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and really. I was actually pretty surprised with uh, New South Wales today. Uh, I knew it was good, but I didn't realize it was as good as it was. Yeah, and I really like Kingston Heath as well. Michael, back to that question about golf courses and do we sell them enough as one of the great appeals of the game. There's a certain subculture of us, obviously. You guys are mad enough to fly all the way here to <laughs> to experience it, and I've been mad enough to go to Scotland, and Adrian's travelled around the world. The golf we watch on television, the courses are just a seem a perfunctory part of it in professional golf. We know that the quality of most of them is not what we would think is fantastic. Is that a mistake that we make in golf, do you think? I think for professional golf with millions of dollars at stake and for all but the very very top players you, you you do have to you do have to give some um leeway to the fact that there are some players who only have one or two chances in their life and they deserve some kind of outcome reasonably in line. I I think trying to eliminate the bounce and and eliminate the the breaks of the game is a huge mistake because that is part of the enjoyment of the game and and teaching the player to deal with 
wind and and the rub of the green is is it's such a crucial part that trying to take that out first of all is stupid because it's impossible to take it out but it would also eliminate a part of the game but i do have some sympathy for the fact that um it, it's very easy to say that uh augusta national should be 6200 yards long and look exactly like the day it opened or pebble beach should go back to to the day it opened in 1928 but um if you're going to have tens of millions of dollars at stake, I, I, I do understand because I, I, I see the other side from these young guys who are, you know, uh, one or two swings over the course of their lifetime can can greatly change things. So I, I think I'm probably caught in the middle there. For me, the, the golf courses and the travel, especially when you undertake a, a major trip and the expense and the time away, it has to be more than just golf. It has to be the people. You know, it has to be the culture. You have to go because you want to learn why um, they play competitions in the Melbourne Sandbelt and why they get around 60,000 people a year at Victoria and everyone still plays in under four hours and everyone shakes hands at, at the last green and has a beer. And then you go to Japan and you find out why they do things the way they do them in Japan. And, and they have double tea times and, and everyone plays from 8 a.m. until 10 a.m. because it's so hot and humid in downtown Tokyo in the afternoon. And then you go to the United States and you find out why Crystal Downs, um, why they have the rules they do. So I think it's, it's you know, when you go to England or Scotland, you sit in these tiny little pubs in Rye, England, or in Dornick, Scotland, and it's the people you meet along the way. If if you're just going to check the list off, it's interesting, but at some point, it for some people it takes one trip, and for some people it takes 10 years. But at some point, if you're just checking the list, you will eventually be sitting in a hotel at midnight with jet lag and think, what the hell am I doing here? Like, why Why did I come here and I'm sitting in a room by myself? You have to have people to travel with that 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 are going for the same reasons you, or at least they're willing to tag along, but you also have to develop the relationships. It, it might be with a host. It might be with a caddy. It might be with a bartender. Um, but you have to have something waiting for you when you get off the plane or um, otherwise you're just kind of on one of these treasure treasure hunts that um, that will never have an ending. You know, the people that say, I want to play the top 100 courses in the world. Well, what happens when you do that? Where's 101 and 102? And, and who have you met along the way? And what kind of relationships? Because otherwise you're spending a lot of money and a lot of time away from family and, and commitments at home. Uh, I, I think for me, it's golf is about the people and, and learning the different parts of the world, how they've how they've translated their cultures in different parts of the world to the commonality of of trying to hit a little ball into a hole that's really hard to do, and that's kind of fun. What's that got to do with golf, Adrian? It's a it's an interesting one. I, I think first, like you've raised a number of good points there. I I personally, when I travel, I really enjoy meeting people and playing with people in different areas. But I also like just want to have people just get the hell away from me at times. <laughs> Get out and, uh, of my way! I want to play the fourth and the, the whole the whole routine when you're traveling, and I'm sure you guys know this. Where you you get you get off the course, and then you get to the hotel, and then everyone parts ways at the lobby and says, oh, "We'll meet back down here in 15 minutes." Mm-hmm. And you're just like, "Damn, 15 minutes!" Like I'm just you know, and you just never get a rest. And I find I reach a point where I just need to yeah, call it all off and just say, I'm, "I'm done. I don't want any people around me for a good." deal of time and i also need to schedule a day where i'm just washing socks and underpants basically like you've got you can't unsee that (laughs) john what what have you what have you seen here that you've never seen anywhere before because i imagine you look at golf courses with a different eye 
because of your photography background, whether you want to or not. The, the most amazing thing I saw was a man swear that he could fit an eight-foot-wide car into a four-foot-wide spot and be proven wrong in an instant. Most, one of the most Australian no, things ever. No, right? no, that, no, I <laughs> but I will tell you, the, the reason I raise this is because we're talking about the people here and we're talking about how wonderful our experiences have been with the people in Australia. And my friends here can jump in if they, if they recall things differently. But we were on King Island and um, – and Michael was driving that day, uh, and he was trying to park the car. And, of course, you know, we drive on the left-hand side, left-hand drive in the States, and we're on the opposite side here. And he had a little mishap where he, he ran into this very large truck very hard with our car trying to park it. And we're right in front of the bar where we're staying. You see inside the bar, through the window, everybody sees this happen, you know, starts pointing. There's commotion inside the bar. And then the largest guy comes out. And this guy comes out, and he is this just cock diesel, puffed out, muscle shirted, you know, crazy haircut, MMA fighting looking. I mean, and it's his truck. And it's his truck. And Michael looks at him in his face. And keep in mind, we've been going for a week plus here, and we're all dead tired. Michael looks <laughs> at no, him back up here, with Michael. this hangdog look on his face and just goes, Fuck, I'm sorry, man. And this guy goes over to his truck, looks at it, licks his fingers, wipes at the paint a little bit, and goes, that'll buff right out. No problem, man. Come on in. I'll buy you a beer. But, I mean, you know, does anything sum up how nice the people have been on this trip more than that? It's just, it's been phenomenal. So, yes, number one on my list of things that is different, that are different about this trip and in this locale are the wonderful people. Um... Certainly another would be, you know, the, the and I, I touched on this a little earlier, and I, again, you guys know I come at this more from, I, I play golf, I would describe it as, as a mediocre game of golf, but I like to take a picture now and then, and so I look at these things from a photographic perspective, and I, I just love that you can, you can play a course like Royal Melbourne in the Sandbelt, or Victoria, or Yara Yara, and Drive 20 minutes, get on a little airplane that takes no time at all, show up 20 minutes beforehand, no security, jump right on a plane. 50 minutes later, you're landing, short drive, and you're at a place like Cape Wickham. You, know, you cannot do that in the States, at least to my knowledge. I mean, I, I guess in some areas you can get some diversity in your golf, but nothing like we've experienced here over two weeks. It only took two years of planning to uh, get that flight. <laughs> <up laughs> I, 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 I'm not a planner. It seemed very I, easy to... <laughs> John booked his ticket a week before we left. Hey, I, I, right. I'm not, I, I take no responsibility for the planning. I, I show up at the 11th hour, right. I buy a late ticket, and, uh, and I tag along. Let's get to some golf. Yeah. Let me answer his the question real quick for John, because the thing that John had never seen before that uh, probably excited him the most was a koala. Yes. Oh, why'd you say that? I, I was just I, looking at the photo on right. your laptop. If you, if you follow me on social media, you know that I love animals yeah. and I love dogs. And I don't, Can you get into a fight down old, at Bondi Beach over a dog just today? Yeah. I, I, yeah well, that, <laughs> so the one person this entire trip that I've met that I would like to punch in the face was this guy who tied his dog out, outside a market and left it there, which, you know, I understand the realities of life. People got to go into the store and grab something. This poor dog was tied up there for like a half hour. While we were, people were eating dinner, the dog's going crazy, barking. I mean, it's clear that the dog was upset. And, you know, I had to tell the guy that I thought he was a douchebag <laughs> for doing that. But in any event, yes, I've wanted to see a koala since I was five years old. And 
Nigel, the second first full day we were here, was kind enough to to make a pit stop at a sanctuary uh, in between the two rounds that we were playing that day. And so we got to to do the touristy thing and meet and pet a koala and uh, the animals you guys have here. They just I just love them. I love them almost as much as the golf, the koalas, the red pandas, the little, the um, what do we see passed out in that little barrel? Wombat. A wombat. A wombat. I love the wombat. Kangaroos on the golf kangaroos courses. Kangaroos on the courses. Drop bears. Have you devils. come across? Yeah. <laughs> Drop bears. Oh, no. okay, it's funny enough. <laughs> I've just done two weeks of covering ladies' European tour events down here. They come down. They play at Bonville, where you see quite a few koalas. And in fact, the entire tournament stopped just left of the 17th hole on Saturday afternoon because somebody spotted a koala in a tree and about seven groups congregated to look up and see this koala in the tree because yeah, we, beautiful. we don't see koalas. Right. It, Australians never see it. They don't, don't come into the back. See, we no, have a vision in America that they're, they're running around everywhere. Yeah, no. Um, no, no but no, the no. kangaroos really are running no, they around. They do run around. I mean, the, we were at St. Andrew's Beach the first morning we were here and we must have, I mean, we saw 50 out yeah. big kangaroos too. Yeah. I mean, seven foot kangaroos yeah. everywhere. We saw kangaroos at Newcastle. Newcastle. We saw them on, on the islands too. We saw them at Barnboogle every day. I mean, oh, the wallabies down there. Yeah. They're, the little ones, right? Yeah, they're the cool. Little, yeah. yeah they're really right. cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the big ones at St. Andrew's Beach were really, I mean, they were huge animals. Yeah, like, they're they're horses. You don't want to mess with them. No, I, yeah. and, and of course I didn't know this. So I'm walking right up to him 10 feet away, shooting pictures <laughs> yeah, like an idiot. And you know, look, he's looking at me and, you know, puffing out his chest and, you know, I'm just waving high like an idiot, but. They're as dumb as a plank, though. It all worked out. They're <laughs> really stupid animals. <laughs> Good breeders. Oh, yeah. They're good breeders, but yeah, yeah you're right. Get, There's well, not a lot. Uh, that's yeah, why we get along so well, me and the kangaroos. You know. Well, I'm glad you got to see a koala. Yes, it was there. huge for me. Well, it's a big deal. Well, you know, I like mm-hmm. to see koalas, too. It's good to see yeah, koalas. Well, enough of why. Let's get to the golf. Derailed. I've got, your, I've, got, I've got you scoped there looking at your notes, Michael, so you know it's going to happen. Do you want to go, go from the top? I want or? you to start yeah. rating them, Ooh, ranking nice. them. They're all 10. Come on, just pull the... Pull the Pull the microphone over. Every last course we played is a 10. No, we so we saw... Um, if they're all 10s, they're nothing special, Mark. Yeah. Uh, I, I was able to see Victoria, Yara Yara, Royal Melbourne, West and East, St. Andrews Beach, Port Sea, Woodlands, Muna Lynx, the new Gunamata course at National, the Muna course at National, uh, the old course at National, the two courses at Peninsula Kingswood, uh, Metropolitan, Kingston Heath, Cape Wickham, Ocean Dunes, Barnbugle, Lost Farms, Newcastle, Bondi Beach, very quickly in the rain. This morning we played New South Wales, and then tomorrow we have on the schedule Kuyanga and uh, Royal Adelaide. I missed Barwin Heads. I was involved in a competition down Ooh. at uh, uh, Gunamata. You were playing the Renaissance Cup. Yeah, I was playing the Renaissance Oaks Cup. So, uh, I was down there. I did an interview with Tom. Yeah, and so I missed. Um, I missed. Uh, these guys went over to Barwin Heads while I was playing the competition, and then some others that we had recommended we just didn't have time for, or there were just conflicts going on with competitions. Uh, we heard good things about Flinders, Belmont, uh, Commonwealth. We just didn't feel like we could pass on uh, Peninsula. Just looked so good. Royal Sydney. We know there's some changes coming, so we thought we would do that next time. And then, kind of a lot of the big name courses in um, Sydney, like the Australian. Um, we weren't able to see those, but, but we'll come. Yeah, the lakes. So we'll come back next time, and we'll see those next time. Mm-hmm. But uh, a couple there caught my eye: Woodlands and Portsea. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us those? Those are ones that a lot of international travelers wouldn't have yeah. on their list, but. Those Sydney, are, those Melbourne's are second tier, but if you transported them to Sydney... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be Woodlands would be world famous if it was in Sydney. Absolutely. And Portsea's a spectacular yeah. location Port as well. Fairy as well. And Port Ferry as well. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. 
Uh, Portsea's got a great facility to stay, uh, mm-hmm. kind of down in the morning. To, to uh, big low. new. They do. Yeah, they've they re- lost a little bit of the course, did they, for that? Clay uh, Street did that. I think he did. did. Yeah, yeah. Clay's, yeah no, uh, they've renumbered the courses for sure. The clubhouse was on the opposite side. Now it's kind of a fancy, shiny hotel, maybe even like for wedding receptions and things. But uh, the routing is different than it was, but the, the whole layout, I mean, it definitely looks like an old school course. I mean, I thought the the three that stood out to me as kind of you can't see anything like them anywhere else in the world would would have been um, Royal Melbourne West, um, Barnwoogle Dunes, and then this morning at New South Wales. There, there's one course in Japan called Kawana that looks a lot like um, visually looks a lot like uh, New South Wales, kind of sitting up above the cliffs, but but not nearly as spectacular. And then you know all the I mean uh, uh you know. Shockingly P- controversial selection there. TK North reminded me there's a new course in um, uh, in my neck of the woods in the southern part of the United States called a hoopie that kill hands. Oh, yeah, I've heard of this. Yep. Match play course, is it? It it's is, yeah. And uh, uh, Peninsula Kingswood, uh, the the north course of PK, um, reminded me a lot of a hoopie, um, and that that's pretty high cotton. Um, the east course at Royal Melbourne, uh, I mean, that's always a fun discussion among the golf nuts, right? Is what, what's the best 36 hole facility or what's the best B course? You know, people talk about Sunningdale New or Baltus Roll Up or, or Wingfoot East. Uh, that, that east course is legitimate as well. I mean, how that, good was that round? At Royal Melbourne East. Yeah. We got oh. to play there as kind of as the sun was going on. I, I, pl- I actually played during my trip, I played the west. At Royal Melbourne three times and one time in the east and the east was just magical. The sun was going down and, uh, we were on the back paddock and, you know, no one around and, and, uh, you get way out there and th- there's e- even, even the holes on the second paddock at Royal Melbourne West that aren't part of the co- composite. I mean, 16th hole might be one of the best. The 16th is isn't it? I thought yeah. 15. I mean, and McKenzie, I guess yeah, there's yeah. a little joke mm-hmm. there about him leaving the, uh, the, the, the cross bunkering, uh, it's the only real cross bunker, you know, cops he, he, he has and he didn't design it. He just left it. But, uh, uh, the 15th hole at Royal Melbourne West would be the best hole on any most golf courses you played. Is it spiritual, Royal Melbourne? Um, I think the too strong. To I the think the, these guys can jump in. I'm talking too much, but I think the spirit of the game is certainly alive there. When you put 50,000 people across there, and you have uh, you have 65 year old ladies who have been playing there for 40 years, and they're putting two foot putts in comps. Uh, but then you also welcome international visitors for no other reason than than we just want to see the place, and then they turn right around and they host an event as successful as the President's Cup was, and the, it can attest the world's best and test all of their shots: low ball flights, high ball flights, fades, draws, um, like putts, everything. Um, that's a pretty rare combination when you can have a sixty-five-year-old um, lady um, who plays it three times a week, and then you can also have um, Adam Scott. That that's a pretty good combination. That that to me is uh, genius. Is maybe too much for for golf. Uh, that should be safe for medicine or science. But um, there's something special going on there. You don't want Adam Scott making putting those two footers at Royal Melbourne. Nigel, I want to come to you. You watched it all on television, and when I went to the old course for the first time, and the same thing happened to me at Royal Melbourne. There's something about it. I think we discussed it, Mons Adrian. You can go to lots, and I've been to a lot. I've been lucky to go to a lot of great golf courses, as have you guys all. There's something special about the old course. Is there something special about Royal Melbourne, or is that just me? Absolutely. I, uh, John and I arrived uh, Sunday the 23rd, and uh, the next day, you know, I think uh, John made a comment. He wanted to buy a, a, a hat because of the sun. And so, well, we might as well just, we were staying in a house just south of uh, Royal Melbourne. So we went over there and 
I just, I mean, it was just amazing driving up there and seeing the course and, uh, you know, it, it was even more amazing getting the chance to tee it up and play it. Uh, I think, uh, I snuck a text to my son who's, uh, 16, just started playing a year ago that, uh, I was so nervous, uh, on like the second or third hole because I was finally getting to play for old Melbourne. Very excited. It's not a knock on the other courses, is it, John? No, but not it at just all. It, Royal Melbourne's just a peg above. No, and, and look, you know, we we you're all wearing Royal Melbourne gear, by the way. Of course, all turned <laughs> up and, in there. And this shirt has—I've gotten miles out of this sweater, like you wouldn't believe. This week, <laughs> I am fresh out of clean clothes. But um, you know, we, we're all deeply into golf in this room, and sometimes when you're that deep in it, and you travel like we do, and you see these courses that we do, you kind of lose perspective a little bit. So my reality check has always been my father. You know, my father loves golf. He watches it on TV, but he's not crazy like we are. So the courses that that really move me in that spiritual way are the courses that he would know and that he would have known for years because he saw them on TV. You know, Pebble Beach, Shinnecock, places like that. You, and, had, a, you and, had a very touching video with your father getting into Pine Valley, right? Well, that, that was, was a big one for him. I mean, my, my father has lived in the Philadelphia area literally every one of his 70 years, and he's been inching toward retirement, and uh, he'd never played Pine Valley. And we've played a lot of good courses together. I took him to Marion for his first time, and I've taken him, as he gets older and he's he's aging out of being able to play some of these courses, I want him, I want him to get to see them while he can still get around them. So yes, I was able to set up a, a surprise visit to Pine Valley for him where I told him that we were going to play in some corporate outing at a course nearby. And uh, That's a good son. It was very good. That's it a was good fun. son. That it, was, was it was really... Uh, How good was, was the guy at the gate as well? He reacted guy, so it, well. I was so worried that we were going to pull this prank on my father and the guy at Pine Valley's gate would look at us and say, you know, <laughs> you guys are out of here. Turn around, you know, get out of here. The guy at the gate comes out and says, you know, you should have called me. And I would have, I would have played in on it. I would, have, I would have been a part of it with. You. He took a picture of us. It was great, but you know, those kind of courses where, it, like the old course, is a great example. I, I want to take my father to the old course so badly. You know, those are the the spiritual places for me. You know, that's not. It's certainly a great course architecturally, but it's it's even beyond. It's apart from that. You know, it's the experience of finally stepping foot on the first tee at Royal freaking Melbourne. You know, just watch the President's Cup there. We've seen tournaments all over the place. We've heard about it. I've never seen it. And to finally get to play it, it's just, I mean, it's a life ambition for most golfers. So to do that is just incredible. Incredible. Pilgrimage, isn't it? It's a pilgrimage. And Royal Melbourne's one of those places where when you get over the the thrill, like there's all this anticipation that goes into Royal Melbourne and those world-famous courses, you know the cor- the holes in advance, you do a little bit of research on it and you're recognising things as you go around and eventually though you settle into just playing golf and enjoying the experience. But Royal Melbourne's one of those places and there's only a few places where I think I experience this where when you're leaving, it, the thought immediately occurs to you is how do I get how back, I get back in? Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the ultimate, that's it, right? That's absolutely. That's, that's the ultimate. I I have an admission. I have an admission to make about being stupid. So you know, I've come I've come to Australia. I flew sixteen hours, and so I want to see as many courses as I can. And we played Royal Melbourne West for the first time on Wednesday of our first week. Um, we did West and East the same day, and I see that on our agenda that these two gentlemen put together in much detail and tons of hard work. 
we have Royal Melbourne West scheduled again for Friday morning. And so I think I even asked these guys Tuesday night, like, guys, if I can find my way on to one of these other courses that is not on our itinerary, would it make me an idiot to skip the second round at a course that I've already seen so that I could see one more course before we go home? And then I played West Wednesday morning and I realized how stupid... (laughs) That looks in retrospect. I mean, my God, how dumb. You're lucky they didn't put you on a plane back home immediately. You know, I would have deserved it. I would have deserved it, honestly. But I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. Isn't this one of the great – it's the downside of golf travel, is it not? Is this right? And especially I think Australians probably feel this more so than others. To get anywhere, we've got to go. We've got to do what you just did. So the temptation is you go to Scotland. You want to tick them off. Yes, and you only realise when you get home, and this would have happened to you, I'm sure. Although you went to the old course the first time, you weren't even intending to play, if yeah. I recall, because you yeah. really are an If you thought you were an idiot, John, wait till you hear his story. I had a, had a spare day at, at St Andrews, yeah. and I was thinking, <laughs> oh, I'll just have a nice breakfast somewhere or and, something. And have a walk and, around it. Or, uh, but that evening, yeah. I was thinking to myself, I'm, I'm an idiot. Like, yeah. I was just thinking, <laughs> I, I, can, I can actually just line up tomorrow and play. And so I, I went 3 a.m. and did the lineup, which was the greatest experience ever. It's the best way to play it for well, your first sure. time. It is. Yeah. But the danger, isn't it, Adrian, of that trying to tick them all off, you inevitably miss something. And if you don't do the tick them all off, you miss something as well. You can't win, can you? <laughs> in, uh, yeah. in so many ways. Uh, let's ask – so Royal Melbourne, I think we'd all agree, is the best course in Australia. I think most of us agree about that. What's the most fun course that you've played? Start with you, Michael, because you're making a face. Oh, I'm trying to think of which of the not an attractive tw- one either, twenty-seven but. other We've people been looking at it for two weeks straight. Twenty-seven other people I want to make mad. There's the Lost Farm versus Barnboogle thing. I think people generally say Lost Farm's a little bit more fun than Barnboogle. No, was, it's that, not, was that the experience you had? No, that's not true. So that's yeah, a but bit you're a Barnboogle guy though. Because okay, and this I'll get you. But Nigel's not. He's, he's oh, okay. You were lost. Yeah, he's lost. Farm. I think that depends one hundred percent on whether you went to Barnboogle before Lost Farm existed, I or whether that. you went there when the two courses were in play. Because if you went there for the first time before Lost Farm was there, forever in your heart is this is unbelievable. Never seen anything like this before. That June's course, and I'm not sure you ever get over it. And I've. I've forever, every time I've been back since, and it's not a knock on Lost Farm, but to me, the first course, I played Barnboogle there before, the Dunes course before Lost Farm was there, and that that was just such an amazing experience. You're like a chick coming out of the shell, just imprinting on its mother or something. Lost analogies are appalling, (laughs) but yeah, something like that. Lost Farm reminded me of uh, Burkdale, where the fairways, even though it's a very dunesy site with, with, with spectacular looking dunes, you played around the dunes yeah. to flat fairways. Flat surfaces. Yeah. Whereas um, Barnboogle was uh, Saint, Royal St. George's, uh, where you play over the dunes, around the dunes, around you know, on the sides of the dunes. Sometimes through them. Uh, through the dunes. And I would say the new Gunna Mana course down at the National Tom Doak did the same thing. It's, um, you know, rather than the, the, um, the Muna course at National where you're kind of th- – finding your way through these saddle fairways and, and kind of these pockets from one elevated fairway to an elevated green with targets to hit. Um, the Gunamata is, um, you know, the, is the opposite is you're, you're going around and through and over and down and Hiller and Dale, um, through those. So, was that one, one for Lost Farm with you, Michael? No, no, I'm, I'm hardcore. Uh, I'm hardcore Barnboogle. I would, I, I said eight, two, our June, eight, two, eight, June. Eight, two. Good boy. Eight, two. And we played, 
for reference too, for people listening home, we played two dunes, one. I played two dunes, one farms. The man sitting to my right, Mr. Islam, uh, he had a he he disagrees. We won't get Adrian sorts this because Adrian, I don't think you've been to Bamboo. No, thank you. You've been to Scandinavia and Denmark and plug up, but you haven't popped over to Tassie. No, no, no. Not been to Bamboo. Let's hear from Nigel. (laughs) Why don't you you go get another round of beers while we talk about Bamboo Jeans? I I think you asked earlier what the. what co- what course was the most fun? And um, for me, I, I think the the fun of this trip, I was like seeing things like uh, like places like King Island Golf and Bowling yeah. Club, uh, or uh, you know Bondi Bond. Beach yeah. uh, Golf and Diggers Club. It just just places that are you don't normally. No one tweets about them, do they? Yeah, no, nobody's. <laughs> but I did, and I'm not saying I'm not saying <laughs> that you know it's better golf or that you should absolutely go and see these places if you're here. But you know, if you've got a spare few minutes, I, I always love to see these. Just these, these. It's the real golf in some places. Yeah. It's probably the, the people of Bondi playing at Bondi of an afternoon in their t-shirts and shorts, and that's proper real golf. Yeah, and and part of it is that you know I I live in I'm not fortunate to live where John lives and have you know top 100 golf courses just next door to me. Drive down the interstate, you know I you know we have some decent tracks uh, where I live, but uh, there's a lot of uh, you know. A lot of uh, places that you have to really look hard and, and find what's really cool about places, and I like places like that a lot. And I think they are fun. And uh, you know, I think I think believe I believe there's three courses on King Island, and uh, I mean, for an island that small to have those three great courses, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I hear a lot about the the King Island. Uh, the, it's a nine hole, isn't it? The golf and balls club there. It might, uh, oh, it's twelve greens or something. Yeah. Twelve hole, fourteen, fifteen tees, something like that. Yeah. John, is there a difference between best and most fun courses? No, definitely. For me, absolutely. Absolutely. I, look, I don't I, – my enjoyment of a golf course is completely divorced from how well or poorly I play. Um, Ocean Dunes over on King Island, I, I, if I was actually keeping score, I would have shot 150 that day. I mean, it, I couldn't find a ball. Every ball I hit was just lost. I think it's I like lost the one time I've ever beaten you on a golf. Course. I mean, it was it was insane how many balls I lost. And I love the course. You know, at the same time, I can go out and on a great day shoot seventy four and hate the place. So, for me, it's it's all about the fun and, and an appreciation at depending on the place I'm at of the the architecture, so to speak. Um, this place is just wall-to-wall with fun golf courses. And I think that has a lot to do with the way you guys maintain your turf. The ball bounces here. The ball rolls here. It's not target golf. It's not a slog. You can come up with creative shots. You can play the ball along the ground. I dig that stuff. So for me, you know, it, all that's fun. That's all good for me. Who doesn't dig that, John? Is it only people who've well, never experienced people it? People who don't know. Yes, that was going to be my answer. People who've never tried it before and think that golf is lawn darts and that, you know, every pin is meant to be fired directly at and that every chip shot is meant to be hit as high as you possibly can and so forth. John, are you saying you want me to share the video of you at Victoria on sure. social media? You can show me putting into a bunker. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey, I'm okay with He's that. He's gotten ahead of the story there. I only <laughs> caught the first one on video, not the, the second and the third. John did make par from... Finish that. That's, thank you for finishing the story. Still Those bunker edges before. come straight up to the green, you know, like, that's tough. That's yeah, tough. I've never I drove the green and then put it into a bunker oh, it was the 15th. then blew it out and made the putt. Didn't know Norman par. do that because he wanted to finish second. He was worried about having to give a speech so to go. finish second at a golf <laughs> I think he he did that, didn't he? Knocked it on the green, putted can, it into a bunker. I can relate. Got you know, it up and down for four so that he could uh, – <laughs> Michael, you've got your notes there. You're studying 
You got something for us? No, no. No. Talk to me about the green. Okay, so I'll tell you what we don't like. Okay, good. Let's get a little heat. Let's get a little heat. Fire it up. We're on to episode three or whatever. We've got a country to defend here, Rod. Yeah, (laughs) just the two of us. Just, just for the oh, Adrian, no, I'm, Adrian you're number me. one on the me. list. You're off the list. Yes. So you've gotten us all obsessed with these Twitter metrics. Big yeah. Beat. yeah. We're, we're amateurs. Like, by the way, so for the people listening too, we pay for all of our golf. Like, none of us are sponsored by anybody. We're just a lawyer and an accountant and a doctor sitting at the table here. <laughs> so, unless anybody Jesus, thinks we're we could here, have a Wednesday afternoon comp. Yeah, lawyer, doctor, and right. accountant. If, if anyone thinks we're here on a Australian tourism board, nickel or something, we're giving you the straight opinion. And, and at least for me, I, I am influenced by how much I pay for my golf. Um, it's not the number one consideration, but well, there's a difference between price and value. There is. And, and there when really Nigel is. mentions yeah. Bondi Beach or King Island, uh, at least in the back of my head, I, I am or St Andrews Beach. Oh, that's oh, amazing! Yeah, that's underrated oh, golf course. Forty US. That is just ridiculous, it's, isn't it? That place? It's, it's, yeah. I, I wanted to hand them five hundred dollars and say, "Well, put me down for one round a year for the next ten years before yeah. someone Ocean finds Dunes out." Ocean Dunes was like that, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we so we are paying, but we if we figure that out. But uh, but we are amateurs, and you've gotten us all obsessed mm-hmm. with these Twitter metrics, and then you pulled them away from us, like like taking the the rattle away from a oh, baby. This, is this a thing? I didn't know this was. Did you get on the list, Michael? I'm not sure with that. Probably not. Is this <laughs> competitive? This is way back from way <laughs> back when we've got John. No, I last one I did was probably about six months ago, July. 2019. Jealous. John was number one. 4.30 a.m. I believe John was one or two. And John, I, I think, has topped everyone, yeah, haven't you? would have done. I miss those lists. I like to there's two, there's two different metrics I do for the overall thing, and John, I think, and whichever one puts both me places. behind oh, no, low maybe is the one that gets not released publicly. Right. I've crafted my whole Twitter strategy around the, the biannual release of that list. Just you just worked out what the algorithm was. And Michael, Michael, I think you used to contact me as like, oh, where, where am I? Where what do I have to do? I think I That's right. You debuted at This is a far serious issue for flying 10,000 miles. And and I ran into the same thing with my friends in Japan when I was over there this summer playing their great golf courses. You guys don't give away free tees here. That's no, crazy. Oh, really? 50, Some courses do. 50 cents for a pencil. <laughs> really? They charge 50 cents for pencils. They're Australian cents. And they charge you for golf tees. We charge for I've a- never been charged for a golf tee or a pencil at any golf course in the United States, and uh, I'd never char- heard of we it. We charge for little tomato there. sauce packets as well that you yeah, want to put on your meat pie. pie. So, it's 20 cents. Uh, I, I didn't want to come in here and just puff up Australian golf for, for 55 Pen- straight minutes. Pencil's got an eraser on but, it, uh, in fairness. Golf tees. Come on, blokes. I mean, throw us some free golf tees. Ironically, you can probably get a free green repairer because clubs are very keen to give away pitch repairers, aren't they? here to... But, but uh, some clubs, you can. What you got to do? Uh, you're not playing the Australian, are you? But they just leave them in a box, and you can yeah, just indulge. Resort courses always have. It's yeah, a pretty resort. good sign when the, when you're here for three months. I just want to add, I'm the only person that brought tees on this trip. <laughs> <Is that> right? <laughs> and they have been bumming tees off Thank me the whole time. Is it that time. much of a big in America? You just don't ever buy a golf. There's tee. a big right? box. So you reach your hand in, you take fifty, you shove them in your I've pocket, and you go. Me neither. Yeah, the firm Not firm much. turf as well. You go through them here. Break, yeah. yeah. Pencils, Club pros all over Australia are drawing in. Bricks. As somebody who plays public golf courses, I do buy golf. You buy tees. Tees. You I've never bought a golf team in my life. Anywhere. I can't think. You before I got online, to Japan. Mate, you, you buy huge bags of them online. You for, guys, I only you bring it up weird, because big uh, plastic tees here, though. They're like five inches long, and they're shaped like a wing of a plane, and they have a oh, rubber yeah. top. Oh, some of those. They last a long time. The proper golfers don't use them. If you if you find one of those, you've got to hand it in at the pro shop. Someone will miss it. Really? So I arrived 18 days ago, and all I have to complain about so far is no free golf tees. I have you have to pay for your pencils, 
And uh, the pencils this, upset you. This may be a little bit more controversial, but the beer is terrible here. Oh, really? Okay. Even the Peroni. Oh, so, yeah. oh the, well, that's that's yeah. Italian. Yeah, and everybody's yeah. drinking Asahi. I drink Asahi. I like yeah. Asahi. You don't like it? Well, I thought there would be like 20 different kinds of local Australian um, beers. Australian What's beers being killed by international beers. beer, but yeah. there's a lot of craft beer in Australia. Uh, yeah. That really surprised me. I mean, I, I'm not big, joking now. I, like, I thought it would be, I would taste some local beers and uh, I went to a pub. Everyone's drinking Japan beer. At a, most golf clubs, they don't have a lot of craft beers no. in stock because they all get their beers from big I'm sure they can find you like a Foster's, Michael, if that's what you really want. No, that's because <laughs> no, we you, don't drink. You've never, you here. couldn't find one here in the eighties when we were yeah. exporting the no, stuff to the world. They, when I was here we ten years ago, I was told Australian is the or Foster's is the beer Australians refuse to drink. Yeah, of course. But I went to a pub for the first time in fifteen years when I was in Dubbo just this last week, yep. and I went up to the bar to buy beer. And when I grew up, you either had old, new, or VB. Mm-hmm. They were the beer. Or Reshes. Or Reshes. Mm-hmm. None of that exists anymore. No, it's all yeah, it's crazy fancy stuff. We saw some VB, didn't we? crazy names. And Victoria Bitters? So I'm with you. I, yeah, it's, a little Victoria Bitters. We but, saw that. Uh, and, and then Australian beer is pretty bland. The, uh, the, post, the post round was surprising, too. I mean, uh, the, you know, people at Metro was pretty vibrant before we teed off, but but at Vic, Yara Yara, I mean, I, we were all our hosts at each place that we, you know, we met along the line and, and offered to host us. Um, most of them told us they only had dinner in the clubhouse once or twice a year. Right. And that surprised me. Yeah. In the United right. States. For like a president's captain's night yeah. or something my, like that. My steady game in Alabama is, you know, we, we, we meet for lunch on Friday at noon and that takes 30 minutes and then you go to the range and then you play in four hours and then you come to the clubhouse and you settle the bets and at the scores and, and, uh, and you have three more beers or two more beers before you go home. And then they said in Australia, I guess that's drinking and driving laws have killed that. That's and part of it. It really I, did. Yeah. I think there's a cultural difference between all the Americans I meet, your golf is very different the way yeah. you experience it yeah. at club level to what we have yeah. here. Seems like you like to get out there, get it done, and get on. And compete. Oh, and compete. And it's all co- – exactly, it's which all drives right. me absolutely bonkers. It does. It I like never, golf. ever stops. We all so like to play it. Every day. The, board, the boards go on and on of the upcoming yeah. sign-up mm-hmm. sheets I would for much prefer. Competition. Yeah, exactly. In Scotland, More they did too. I well, mean, it's – you know. Scotland, they, they, they mix up the formats in Scotland. The other problem with Australian golf or Australian golfers is they want to play – Two forms of golf. Once a month, stroke play. Every other day, Stableford. Yeah, a lot of Stableford. If now. you mention anything else, yeah. well, no, no, we, no, I don't yeah. play. I've got people I know who you ring up and say, you want to go for a hit of golf? Yeah, well, is there a comp on? No. Well, then no. Yeah, we play a lot of one or two best balls. Yeah. We like first ball. Yeah, you can always find something to play for within a group. And Anyway, so oh, there you go. So that's interesting. But that's it. Um, I have grievances. If you're here for yeah, we're oh, gonna hit John. John has grievances. Yeah, yeah no, I want to have John. Yeah. Would it kill you guys to have? To put a halfway house at the turn. <laughs> if kill the course us, doesn't go back to the pro shop, can I get a beverage? And then the other thing is this. Cherry flavored Coca-Cola, you don't have that in this country? Oh, we do. do I we? haven't seen a bottle yeah, yet. Seen Cherry? Cherry flavored? It'd be in like a gas station place or that sort I've of I've been thing. looking. Oh, can't find cherry Coke. Oh, okay. But those know. are my only two stuff. grapes. It's okay. Good. Yeah, it's pretty good. The halfway house gripe is a serious gripe, though. I don't want that to be belittled. It's not a thing yeah. here, is it? Really? Well, I need to drink. It's a halfway house where I play. Yeah. Uh, it's just if a club has a has a place, even if it's just a, like a bucket, like a trash can filled up with ice with some drinks shoved in it, I'll take it. Doesn't have to be a big elaborate. Yeah. Thing. Hmm, it is something. I it's probably thirsty. falling out of favor. I was looking. Where I grew up, my home course was Maitland Golf Club in the Hunter Valley, and it had a fantastic old halfway house, which is actually on the 15th hole, 
which so it came at an odd point in the round. But you still, they had a guy there just serving hot dogs, and they were the best hot dog. Hot dog only tastes good when after you've walked fourteen or fifteen sure. holes. Like that's exactly. Yeah. And then they're the yeah. most amazing food in the world. I'm I'm a little spoiled. At Sleepy Hollow, you pass the halfway house four times during your round, and and I never <laughs> fail to stop. So yeah. just might this might be me, but I would like to see some more halfway houses. Okay, and some cherry cola. There you go, Nigel. You look like you're ready to burst. Here. You look like you've got I, grievances. I was, just gonna ask a- I was just going to ask Adrian if uh, if uh, his home home course was close to Newcastle. Then it is. Yeah, Maitland Golf Club, just a little bit north of Newcastle. Yeah, so I used to play Newcastle a lot when I was a yeah. kid. And I, you guys were there yesterday. Yes, we were. Yeah, looking forward to the changes there. We heard uh, maybe some proposals that the land looked fantastic on the back part of the property. And it really did. The ones. Uh, I mean. Bob Harrison's going to be doing that, I think. Who's a Seth Rayner hater, so Nigel's he's off Nigel's Christmas card list. <laughs> and Scott Champion. That's the end of him. And Scott mm-hmm. Champion, that's yep. right. Yep. Yeah. But Newcastle, I mean, for me, it's a great driving course. It, like, you get courses that are great second-shot courses, but Newcastle has an amazing set of fairways, and it's I mean, just natural terrain It just well. keeps coming. You can tell it was they've just mown down all the – just clear-cut that tea tree, and then what they're left with with these amazing shapes in the fairways. And – by some amazing um, stroke of fate, a lot of the little extra runs and things that you get come just where a good drive finishes. You get an extra is, 50 metres run or something like that. Isn't that funny how that – It's you, remarkable. You wonder how much, especially uh, as part of uh, the Mr. Doak's um, um, tournament that he put on for us, and um, we got to have dinner in the Royal Melbourne Clubhouse, and, and he gave a speech, and the superintendent from Royal Melbourne gave a speech, and uh, he reminded us again, and you forget how – how few, how, how little time Mackenzie was here. Yeah. And even when he was here, as soon as he got here, they kind of farmed him out to the other clubs to, to help offset the bill for Royal Melbourne, which is an interesting story. But, uh, and Tom wrote a nice biography of, uh, of Mackenzie that's interesting to read if you can find a, a copy. But, um, it's incredible to think he never saw it. He never mm-hmm. saw the finished result. The only the fifth hole. And um, and he it barely, out barely so well. wrote about his visit three, to Australia. Three yeah. paragraphs in Spirit of Was there even yeah. three paragraphs? I, three paragraphs. I thought it was like one sentence. Few, mentioned yeah. that he'd a been to Australia letters. at some point. Yeah, just yeah. a few letters. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Morecambe and, and uh, um, you know, everything Russell. that's Russell and, and, and on and on. I mean, the generations that are down, they're only about three generations removed still mm-hmm. at Royal Melbourne. I mean, they've only been through four or five guys uh, since then uh, with Greenskeepers. Um, it, it's amazing how well with, you know, graphite shafts and 460cc balls, how those runouts that you talk about in the shot values, you're still, uh, uh, what are we now, uh, 85, 90 years after he's left, and you're still standing on the 18th tee at Royal Melbourne West, yeah. and the wind's coming off your right cheek, and you're figuring out, can I hit a cut over that bunker? How much am I going to take off? How much am I going to take <laughs> off 85 years later? Uh, that's incredible to me that the game – people talk about how much the game's changed, but but to me, uh, when I travel as much as I did England and Scotland and stuff and I see the pros and stuff, it, it to me, it's 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 far more amazing how, how little it's changed. I mean, you still have to get the ball in the hole and um, – don't you reckon, Michael, that the reality the reality of that is that what we get to experience now with the technology is what the elite player of yes. ninety years ago got yeah. to experience? And yes. so, so Tiger stands <laughs> on that eighteenth to Royal Melbourne West. It never enters his head whether he no. can carry that bunker. So, yeah. in an ironic way, it's a lot less fun to be a pro now than it was a hundred years ago. It's, it's more stressful for them, and they have different stresses, different sorts of stresses. On, on my way here. Um, 
I, I had a stop for the tournament at, at Riviera. Um, I had a couple of players playing that weekend. Um, it, it's funny at Riviera, the stressful hole for them is the first hole because it's, it's a 505 yard par five. They've and so the stress four. for them is they have to make four mm. or they feel like they're behind all day. And it's, it's, just, it's a, it's a, it's an, you know, it's a subliminal thing or it's a, it's almost an, it works the opposite way, but uh, I also have to look at that horrific family yeah. that they've cut down there now, yeah. which is just, it's, that's a stressful thing. It is, yeah, that is just awful. awful. It's awful. Yeah. It's a little landing. It's, awful. Oh, it's I, awful. I got in a little trouble. I was here about a, a certain hole at, at the national. It's <laughs> got a windmill in the middle of it, but uh, the first hole at Riviera, uh, the, the uh, Jeff Shackelford can handle this bucket of water, not me, but uh, carrying this one, but. There's room for improvement at the first hole of, of Riviera's mowing. That line. started with the U.S. Amateur, didn't it? A few years ago, it did they, 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 uh, they mowed it I, like that? It's, I found it interesting. My, my home club of Shoal Creek, Alabama, um, back home, uh, we had the women's U.S. Open two years. Yeah, ago. that's right. Yeah, I, I found interesting the uh, the clubs that the women hit uh, in 2018 uh, compared to. Uh, we, for the Australians listening, we had Wayne Grady win in 1990, and we had uh, Lee Trevino win in 84. Trevino won with the new putter. Beat, he did. Um, Ping answer. Yeah. Beat Kissed Gary Player. He well. did. Beat yep. Gary Player, and then uh, and then uh, Wayne Grady kind of hung on while Payne Stewart and and Freddie Couples. Freddie Couples. Yeah, that's in right. 1990. Couples, couples, couples bogey that four holes in the back nine. Calvin but, Pete uh, did well in that. He did. Creek. He did. Yeah. Big high Bermuda rough, and yeah. he hit it straight. But uh, the women are interesting because they're hitting it. From what I understand, I wasn't around in 1984, but they're hitting it now right about where the men hit it in 84. At yeah, Creek. Was that's it about right. Was it Jatanagan and somebody else? Jatanagan won in a playoff. Uh, playoff. Yeah, who did she beat in a – was it a playoff? Yeah, yeah. she was. Yeah, two-hole playoff. Yeah. Very wet, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, hurricane. Yeah. Hurricane yeah, right. went over the right of right. top of the clubhouse on the Monday before. I've just, just watched two fields of women's players play, and we're – First week was at Bonville, which people in Sydney will probably be familiar with. Most people have been to Bonville for a holiday. So they played that off the standard men's tees. And the young girl, Steph Kiriakou, 19, she shot 22 under for the week. <laughs> like, How long's Bonville as well? It's not 6,000-odd metres. Oh, okay. Would have been. Well, they might have played maybe, it a little bit longer. For maybe that wouldn't, maybe 6,200. So it was off the, the regular men's tees. And then they weren't knocking it on the par fives. They were knocking it up there within 50 or 60 yards on two of them there were two that were reachable but it was uh yeah the 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 top women players today you are you are looking at the top men's players of 30 years ago it's a different type of distance that'd be the only thing i would say is that they don't hit the high spinning five irons like norman might have hit 30 years ago their five iron and their eight iron is different to tiger's eight iron they don't they don't have the same sort of spin once it hits the ground But they can they can play and they've got enough distance to, we, uh, to play. That was twenty two under around that golf course is almost unfeasible. It really was. It's, it's interesting too. I can chime in here. My son, he's sixteen and uh he's you know, he's kind of fledgling on his high school golf team, uh my son Ryan. But uh uh there's uh several high high level amateur girls that go to his high school and um they're they the same coach kind of coaches them, a guy named John Given and uh he uh he basically, at the end of every driver session, he has them swing as hard as they can to see how how high you can get their swing speed up to. I mean, that's how these kids are being instructed. Oh, it's the only thing. And uh, and there's another another uh, uh, kid that's Ryan's age that goes to a different school, but uh, you know he's trying to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. Uh, so it's uh, I mean these these kids can play. Yeah, Shackleford told us I think uh, four or five episodes ago on State of the Game that. The number one question for college coaches isn't what do you score, it's what's your, what's your clubhead speed. Sure. You can teach technique. Yeah, that's yeah. right. What's your clubhead speed? It's got to be this. If it's not that, there's nothing for me to work with. No. You've got to be able to swing at this hard. And that's a genuine change in the game, which, is, is, which detracts from the game in so many ways, I think. I agree. Because it changes so much about you, the game. You wonder how much um, 
how it can be offset and, and how, how much of the spirit of the game and, and, and especially at these gray courses could be protected. Uh, I mean, the, the two easy answers for me at Royal Melbourne is match play. You know, they're match, play, match absolutely. play. Couldn't agree. So that kind of, it, it takes the stress off the membership that Ernie's going to shoot 64 days in a mm-hmm. row. Um, and then, but the second one for me that just, I go over again and again on whether it's golf club atlas or Twitter, wherever is. It seems like the hazards, you know, those that follow me at, at Bama Bearcat know, um, I like to pick, show old photos of, you know, of, uh, real St. George's or Rye or wherever. The hazards back in those days, you know, it looked just like wild horses were running through the, through the sand dunes. And, uh, that, that seems like such an easy answer that saves money. Unfortunately, the, the clubs that, that would benefit the most from it have the least reason to do it because they have the most resources. You know, they, they have a, not a vested interest, but they have no downside to presenting a perfectly groomed playing facility because it's what top competitors want. Uh, but for the good of the game of golf, it sells it, doesn't not, it, Michael? It not, sells. Not We've got buying a market, rakes. We've got a market rakes. that demands it. Well, yeah. you know, the, don't buy rakes and we solve 20% of golf's problems just by not having rakes. It's that simple. It's, I mean, of course, it's been tried, but you end up yeah. getting just outrage. You do. Just, it's, um, Pine Valley didn't have rakes. Yeah. I mean, you, they can probably get away. There's probably the one course in the world that could get away with it. But. It's the old question of do you want to have fair or do you want to have, you know, fun? Yeah. Or something in the middle. Yeah. The, just on the, that equipment question about how we can still enjoy a lot of these courses as they're meant to be enjoyed. Um, but there, I mean, I think even for us, the, the best part of that is our, we can more consistently hit good shots. So if you if you can envision a shot and you can actually execute it, um, there's a little bit more of a thrill out of golf for me these days, at least, than there was maybe twenty or thirty years ago. I don't feel like I'm hitting it a hell of a lot further, but I um, bet you're carrying it further in the air, maybe. probably, and, and on a and different trajectory. I, so there's a whole like at Royal Melbourne. I'm sure you remember the sixth on Royal Melbourne West. The, the, remember it might be the best <laughs> four in the world. Pretty great, and it's. It's a hole where it used to be a driver with persimmon and it was a question of how much of that corner you're going to cut off and whether you could shape it or whether you were going to carry all the way or what, what sort of a shot were you going to hit. Um, nowadays, driver actually isn't the right play. You're going to go – you're probably going to go through the fairway, even mugs like us. And bring the bunker on the left into play. Yeah. That's right. On the green side bunker. But still, drive, yeah, driver's not the play. So you're still hitting that same shot that you hit 30, 40 years ago, but with I, three wood now. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I'm shaking my head right now, though, because I, I started playing golf as a caddy at age 11 or 12 at a wonderful old Langford Moreau course called Clovernook in Cincinnati that actually Brian Schneider is just starting to – do some work on, um, and I think you'll hear more and more about Clovernuck in the next ten years. Spider's going to touch it. Yes, that would yes. seem likely. And it's got seventeen original Langford greens, and it's great. Wow. But but anyway, um, when you start catting eleven years old for rich guys in the United States, and you see all their fancy clubs and stuff, and I've heard I've heard Clates talk about this. You you also learn very quickly. Everyone's falling for the same <laughs> macrating, and I and I'm on the I see the guys on the tour, and they're handing these guys these shiny new clubs every week to try. Ninety-five percent of golfers would be better off finding a good club professional and signing up for ten lessons, lessons and committing to not playing golf, but to hitting two hundred balls between each lesson. And the lesson should cover your grip and your alignment 
before you even get to the golf swing. I mean, that's all there is to bunkers, isn't it? The amount the of says you just got to have a good grip. That, that it's as easy as that, apparently. Hold the club correctly and don't line up correctly. And they're and they're constantly trying to self-correct on the range. And they're and now the technology. They're watching Twitter videos and they're watching YouTube about how to hit a golf ball and find a good club professional and and go once a week for ten straight weeks and learn to hold the club. Real quick, is this a good time to tell you aim way right up the tee? <laughs> <laughs> it depends what you're betting tomorrow. Just on that, I, I did a uh, an interview with John Paramore, which will come out on the Thing About Golf podcast ah, yeah. in a couple of weeks. John, he was fantastic. Yep. But he was the guy who had to ping Ian Woosnam at the O2 Open. Mm-hmm. And we it were sort of clubs. discussing, yeah, that's right, he was talking us through it and how it had all happened. And we both agreed simultaneously. The most surprising thing about the whole story is with a one-shot lead, what the hell were you doing mucking around with two drivers on right. the driving range before sure. you went out on Sunday? Sure. It was a perfect storm. What were you doing try- testing a driver on a Sunday morning? Somebody's handed him a shiny club and said, at the start of the week, you can hit this one better than the other one. And Part of the thing is they do hit it well enough that it, it makes matters. a difference. Absolutely. For, I, I hit it so inaccurately and so far away and inconsistently from the centre of the club face. We play for different matter. reasons, too. Yeah. We can play for fun. As you well know, your clients aren't playing for fun. The game stops being fun when it starts yeah. being – not completely. It's not that you don't enjoy it, no. but it's not fun. But don't don't buy a $500 driver. Buy buy 10 oh. lessons and learn to hold the club. $200 worth of lessons would be a bit of a – And line up straight and do that for three months and uh, – That'll benefit you know. I, I something I, I just love when I, I come and see the comps here or in, in these old guys at, at you know St Andrews Golf Club in the 18th um, to the right of the 18th green at um, St Andrews. You know they go out in the wind and they're six handicaps. And when they say they're six handicaps, they're six handicaps. Genuine six handicaps. And it rains and they're six handicaps. And it it's it's cold proper, and they're six handicaps. Proper players. There's lots of people in the United States that say they're six handicaps when it's 75 degrees and there's no wind and they're playing at their home course. They're they're six handicaps, but. Uh, um, you have to have good fundamentals, and, and you can't buy those at a golf store. You have to be taught those by someone who knows what they're doing. All right, let's finish up. What's a uh, lasting memory going to be of Australia, John Cavalier, for you? And will you come back? Well, I'd love to come back. We know you'd um, love to. The question was, will you? So I'm sure I will eventually, um, and I can tell you exactly how it will happen. You know, the, the, my most lasting memory will be of – living on the road with these two guys for two weeks plus uh, and seeing five cities or places in Australia and 20 odd golf courses uh, and meeting so many wonderful people along the way who were kind enough to welcome us into their lives for a couple hours and show us their, their home, their golf course. Um, and everybody was just so nice that that will be the lasting memory. And so to answer your question, I know that you know, in the near term, there's other places I want to see. I like to see new places before I return to, to the same places. But I know now that in five, six, seven years, uh, I'll be sitting at home one winter and Christmas will be around the corner. And I'll start thinking, you know, it would really be nice to get back to, to Royal Melbourne and see Ben and, you know, play those two magical courses one more time. And, you know, yeah, the 16-hour flight over for me was bad, but, you know, you survived it last time. You can survive it again, and that's exactly how it'll happen, and I'll talk myself into it. And, frankly, I won't have to convince myself that hard. So, yeah, I'll be back for sure. I loved it. Fantastic. Good to you, Michael. Well, let's start with Nigel. Same question for you. So so my answer to that question, um, I don't know whether I'll be back, uh, but, you know, I certainly would absolutely – 
dearly love to come back and and see some of the places I didn't get a chance to see. I'd love to see a platypus, which I was unable to see. <laughs> no, I've been in Australia. Uh, I've seen a platypus. But uh, – yeah, and just see some, and most of all, see some of the people that were kind enough to to host us and take care of us. Like you know, John mentioned uh, Ben Jarvis. Uh, you know, uh, our, our you know our, our hosts at uh, uh, Melbourne Brett and Wally and uh, um, Don at Met Metropolitan, Simon Dick at uh, Kingston Heath. Um, some, the Scott, usual suspects. Scott Warren say, today. Yeah, <laughs> Scott, Scott Warren today. Uh, we haven't we haven't uh, uh, run into uh, uh, James Bennett out at uh, uh, Royal Adelaide, but he set up a couple games for us tomorrow. So looking forward to that as well. And I, you know, I, I mean, the people here are so amazing and so terrific. And uh, it, it's not just about golf. I mean, I would come back here. I was here. T- Ten years ago, on my ten-year anniversary with my lovely wife Nancy, and uh, and uh, we had a wonderful time. And uh, I've always wanted to come back, and this is a great opportunity. And even if it's not for golf, I'd love to come back. All right, Michael, you're the instigator of this whole thing, so you've got the tick of approval from these two. Has it been what you expected it to be? I'm guessing you will be back because you've got clients who are going to come here and play, whether they like it or not, because you're going to win them in tournaments over here. Uh, Jim, I mean, Jim Herman, this is where his career began at uh, Moon and Lynx in 2010. he he wants to come back for the Australian Open. I hope Australian uh, golf. Um, it's hard to enter a tournament when you don't know what the dates for the tournament are, and mm-hmm. it's only uh, nine months away now. So hopefully, that keeps going. Um, there, the Australians are too hard on themselves. I keep all week people have said, "Do you think someone would really come who's who's won two PGA Tour events for no appearance money?" And I said, uh, th- "There's plenty of guys. Maybe not guys that are ranked in top ten and have a million commitments." To film commercials and, and downtime is precious for them. There are lots of guys that are ranked two or three hundred in the world that, um, if they can make the schedules work and the golf courses are good, um, that would come for a week or two to play a place like Kingston Heath. They're, they're not going to show up for any golf course for 30% of the money that they can make in the United States. But, um, if it's two weeks before Christmas and there's not much going on and the flights can be arranged and the prize money's, um, reasonable for, for, there where they stand in the game um i I think you're selling yourself short here on what can happen to you you look at the australian uh, open tennis um that goes on here in sydney and um there's no reason golf can't be like that it's it's the perfect time television schedule time of year um i mean the australian open was just must see television for anybody who liked golf and um yeah the president's cup i mean and um so look, going for it. Hoping to be it? here in Trade December. And, uh, money is our biggest stumbling block. We, it is. We just and when you factor in the exchange rates, but the money's not. Even if you exactly. match the money for whatever you're about the purses, it. we can't afford. We, we'll never match the purses, and even if we did, the appeal is lessened because you have got to travel sixteen hours to get there. I know what you're saying, but there's more guys who play for history. There's a than forty-eight. There's a forty-eight percent tax rate mm-hmm. before you walk away. There's a there's a I, lot of barriers. Not, I think the not if you hire a good accountant. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the prestige they of the tournament. Yeah. So that's yeah. probably the real question. You hang around the tour a lot in the tour. Has, has the Australian Open got prestige? No. and cash among those players. Uh, n- not not for. Someone who's ranked in the top ten in the world, no. but if you are exempt anyway, or you have options and and you don't, you're not living week to week like most people are. Um, I I think that there's ways to to improve things. Certainly from where it is, I'm not saying it's going to be the British Open. No, 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 but, no, no. But from but, where it was to where it is now, come on, boys, we, we can do d- better. We John Morse won the Australian Open. Yeah, John Morse, he did. <laughs> 
We <laughs> aim too high is the other mistake we make. We, we invest in one Rory McIlroy at the expense of three Eddie Pepperells. Mm. And that's a mistake that Australia can't afford to keep making. And four years ago, we could have got Eddie Pepperell to come and play this tournament alongside. The other one that we missed last year was Bob McIntyre, the Scottish left-handed mm. kid. You can get those players, and Australia can become the place where golf fans say, I saw him when. Yep. I followed Mike Weir at a Greg Norman tournament at the Lakes 10 years before he won the the Masters. I'll never forget that. But that, if Australia stops aiming for Tiger and Rory and Jordan and Justin and Jason and yeah. Dustin yeah. and Adam and all of that, we should rely on our Australian players to be helpful. Yeah. And for the most part, Adam and the has courses, been. and if give we, Eddie Pepperell a good experience. He'll keep coming. That's back. exactly yeah. right. When it's, when it's snowing in downtown New York City and there's two weeks before Christmas and there's not a PGA Tour event, um, and you can watch Kingston Heath at yeah. 9 p.m. at night. Uh, that's good television no matter who's playing, and uh, that's a, I, that I think you're right. Work. I think it's come down a couple of pegs on who we aim to get because the other thing we miss out on is a lot of our Australian players are at that mid-tier PGA Tour. They can't afford to take two weeks no, off the tour and come down here. They need the points and the money to make sure they keep their card for next year. I mean, the, the President's Cup was, you know, we – this is going to sound overly harsh, but generally speaking, in the U.S., we ignore the President's Cup. We sure. pay attention to the Ryder Cup. So do we, but it's not a Royal we, Melbourne. Right. <laughs> so Royal Melbourne, primetime television in winter, every single person I know went nuts for that this year. And look, I get that the Australian Open is not at Royal Melbourne, but Kingston Heath on television, like Wolfie says, while we're all freezing to death in the Northeast – would go over really, really well. We're not making the best use of the assets we've got. I, I think world golf is poorer when the sand belt is not in play for Couldn't professional golf every year. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter which sand belt course you pick. Or, it could be the pinnacle or every fight, other year, but, but not twice in but, 15 years. Right. No, there has right. to be sand belt golf yeah. for the good of the game broadly every year because it's right. It's, it's what trending it in that direction. And it'll get people to come and want to play it. They need to see it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. No, thank you. Fine. Thank you. It was all right. Did you enjoy the chat? You've enjoyed the golf. Got to meet two of my heroes. <laughs> Three. John, well, John, and, John and Nigel. Adrian, Adrian, Adrian used to be my hero before he stopped putting the list out. But. <laughs> yeah, that, well, I'll tell you, there's two things we're going to take away from this podcast. You better start putting your list back out. We're going to stop Free charging for tees. We, yeah. we better stop charging Just real quick, for this is all I've been hearing about all week. You get it, get it. About the list. Yeah. <laughs> the list of tees. Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you, boys. Thank uh, you. We'll thank you. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Take care.